As criticalists, we frequently manage and treat septic peritonitis cases. This is typically due to disease or pathology in the gastrointestinal tract, secondary to a linear foreign body, or even ruptured neoplasia. Rarely, we'll see atypical causes for peritonitis aside from bacteria, like fungal etiologies, such as candida. So in today's Vet Girl podcast, we're going to discuss candida peritonitis in dogs and why dogs potentially develop this rare type of peritonitis. Candida peritonitis is frequently reported in people, but there are only two previous published reports in dogs. Now keep in mind that candida is a normal inhabitant of the gastrointestinal tract and biliary tracts of people and animals. When candida peritonitis occurs, it's thought to develop secondary to overgrowth and extension of candida from compromised mucosal barriers of the gastrointestinal or biliary tracts. So Bradford and all, out of Oklahoma State, wanted to report five cases of dogs that had evidence of candida peritonitis and evaluate what circumstances in which these dogs developed it. The first case was an 11-year-old male intact poodle diagnosed with bile peritonitis secondary to a ruptured gallbladder. To note, antibiotics were started by the referring veterinarian prior to presentation. Six days after this dog had surgery to repair the bowel peritonitis, fungal organisms were found in the peritoneal fluid. There was also a much higher total nucleated cell count in the peritoneal fluid than prior to surgery, suggestive of peritonitis. Based on the presence of organisms, a second exploratory surgery was performed, where an abscess was found at the gallbladder fossa. Unfortunately, this dog developed aneuric kidney failure and was euthanized two days after the second surgery. Cultures from the second peritoneal fluid grew Candida albicans and Candida glabrata. Note, this dog was not started on antifungal treatment prior to euthanasia, as this isn't common standard of care due to the infrequency of Candida peritonitis. Interesting to note, no organisms were found on histopathology of the gallbladder, even with special stains. The second case was an eight-month-old female spayed miniature Australian shepherd with a history of a spay incision dehiscence and exterization of her intestines. This puppy ended up having two subsequent surgeries and received both intravenous and oral antibiotics during treatment. At the time of presentation, peritoneal fluid samples contained organisms. On culture, Candida albicans, confirmed with PCR and sequencing, and Enterococcus facium were grown. This puppy was kept on broad-spectrum antibiotics and started on intravenous fluconazole for treatment. Surgery revealed dehiscence of a previous resection and anastomosis site with areas of necrosis, diffuse intestinal adhesions, free abdominal fluid, and gross contamination with intestinal contents. No fungal organisms were found on histology of biopsied intestinal tissue, even with special stains. Thankfully, this dog survived and had no evidence of morbidity six months after discharge. The third case was a seven-year-old intact male English Mastiff with a history of receiving Rimadyl for osteoarthritis. This dog was also started on antibiotics for suspected urogenital infection. This dog presented for Candida peritonitis and had evidence of organisms identified on peritoneal fluid based on cytology. Unfortunately, this dog suffered cardiac arrest during exploratory surgery and couldn't be resuscitated. At necropsy, two duodenal perforations were found adjacent to the bile duct with large amounts of debris and purulent fluid present in the abdomen. On culture, 
Candida albicans was found. Unfortunately, in this case, the ulcerations were suspected to be a complication of chronic NSAID administration. The fourth case was a four-year-old female spayed American bulldog with a fabric-foreign body in the stomach, which extended into the proximal jejunum. This dog had surgery and was placed on broad-spectrum antibiotics post-operatively. However, five days post-op, the dog worsened, and peritoneal effusion revealed the presence of organisms. On culture, Candida albicans was detected and confirmed by PCR and sequencing. This dog underwent a second surgery where dehiscence of the enterotomy, along with adhesions, was found. This dog was restarted on broad-spectrum antibiotics and started oral fluconazole. Unfortunately, this patient declined, and at a third surgery, extensive adhesions and numerous ulcerations were found on the cirrhosal surfaces of the intestine. The dog was euthanized and fungal organisms were seen with special stains on intestinal histopathology. The fifth case was a two-year-old female spayed standard poodle with a history of surgery for gastrointestinal biopsies and abdominal distension. The patient was started on broad-spectrum antibiotics and required a second surgery after dehiscence of one of the biopsy sites. One week later, the patient developed abdominal distension again and peritoneal fluid revealed fungal organisms. Culture results revealed the presence of E. coli, Enterococcus facium, and Candida glabrata, which was confirmed with PCR and sequencing. A third surgery was performed, and gross debris was found in the abdomen secondary to dehiscence of all the previous biopsy sites. The patient was started on IV fluconazole as well as broad-spectrum antibiotics and was alive at the time of publication. So what does this case series tell us? All the dogs in the study had a history of antimicrobial administration and either intestinal and or biliary surgery in four dogs or intestinal ulceration in association with NSAID administration in one case. This is consistent with reported predisposing factors in humans also. Likewise, all cases had peritoneal fluid cytology characterized by pyogranulominous inflammation. Now, tissue invasion by candida isn't normally seen in healthy animals. Typically, normal intestinal flora, enzymes, peristalsis, and a host's immune system keep candida in check. But antimicrobial use alters that normal flora, allowing fungal overgrowth. Candida is an opportunistic pathogen and is able to spread to the perineum when the mucosal barrier is disrupted, which may be due to surgery, perforation, inflammation, neoplasia, etc. This case series was the first reported case of Candida glabrata. The previous case reports were of Candida albicans. Notably, the two dogs that survived in this case series were the ones that were treated with intravenous fluconazole immediately after cytologic identification of yeast organisms. What do we take from this Vet Girl podcast? Remember, candida is a potential complication in dogs with peritonitis, particularly those that are already started on broad-spectrum antibiotic therapy. Most importantly, make sure to look at your peritoneal fluid immediately. That way you can detect whether or not your patient needs to go to emergency surgery. When looking at your own cytology in-house, candida typically appear in their yeast or blastoconidia form. They look like three to eight micrometer round to oval, deeply basophilic with a thin, clear halo. As an FYI, a dog red blood cell is typically seven micrometers for comparison. Narrow base budding may also be seen. If you see a hyphal form, it's typically candida albicans. Ideally, a culture of candida from peritoneal fluid is a gold standard for diagnosis, but it requires at least 48 hours. Cytology can be a quicker diagnosis and may be prognostic. In a human study, cytology was the independent predictive factor for mortality when candida was identified on direct exam of peritoneal fluid cytology. 
One more important consideration is to consider the use of appropriate antimicrobial therapy. Are we using it for the right indications? Or more importantly, is it indicated to begin with? If not, it may predispose that patient towards fungal overgrowth. The diagnosis of candida peritonitis is rare, especially given the infrequency of case reports. However, it may be due to being underdiagnosed and or underrepresented. When in doubt, send peritoneal fluid also to a clinical pathologist to evaluate. And remember to make a direct smear soon after obtaining the fluid and send that fresh unstained smear in along with the fluid in a purple top tube. Check out our podcast on top 10 mistakes commonly made with cytology for more information. When in doubt, make sure to submit your cytology in a purple top tube and your culture in a red top tube. Early identification of organisms in fluid samples can allow you to start life-saving treatment faster and potentially improve clinical outcome. When in doubt, as soon as you diagnose candida peritonitis, start intravenous fluconazole STAT.